Hello, this is Catherine and this is Friendly Anarchism. I'm here today with Barb Ryan. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and kind of what you do and your position in the community? Mm -hmm. I'm Barb Ryan and um, I've been called the Guidus of Happiness. I have a nonprofit called Spiraling Toward Joy. I'm also a uh, happiness coach. I was a counselor for about 25 years and have been doing this for about seven years. And I recently wrote a book called Love Loves Fear. And I also do weddings and officiate uh, burials. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. I have your book here. You gave me a copy. It was so kind. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. It's got just like amazing. I love the art in here. It's yes. just gorgeous. And it, it goes really well with, um, with everything mm -hmm. that you did. And Elise Hennessy is the uh, artist. Mm -hmm. uh, do you mind if I uh, read it or do you want to read it? Oh. I know you did some performing it. Sure. I, I, mean, could, I could read it. Do you want to yeah, let's yeah, do that for the yeah. audience so they can, they sure. can hear what we're going to be talking about. Kinda. Okay. Love loves fear. Love. Love loves everything. Love surrounds everything. Love is within everything. Love is all there is. Love loves everything, including fear. Fear. Fear fears everything, especially love. When love approaches fear, fear gets really big and angry trying to scare the love away. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love loves. Love loves fear. Love beams love at fear. Oh, this scares the fear so much that it runs away. Runs and runs as fast as it can to all corners of the earth. Don't you know, no matter where it runs, love is there. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love loves fear. Love beams love at fear. This scares fear so much that it shrinks into a tiny dot. Love, love is patient. Love is kind. Love loves fear. Love beams love at fear. Fear, surrounded by love, surrenders to its warm embrace. Fear is transformed and becomes part of love. Love. Love loves everything. Love is all there is. Thank you. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. In your work, have you found this to be true? You wrote a book about it, so... Mm-hmm. Yes. Do yes. you work with people in a lot of fear? Um... I think that most uh, transformative moments for people are based on a fear that they're going through. Just before a change, just before a transformation, just before a shift, there's lots of fear. And so as we can love that fearful, anxious, maybe even angry part of ourselves, and that just means not judging it, accepting it for what it is, mm -hmm. it doesn't um, get so big. And when we feed the fear... It gets really, really big, and it blocks us from what we want to do. It sabotages what we want to do. But when we honor the fear, which love does, then it just has its rightful place of being maybe a little warning sign or letting us know something that we might have forgotten or guiding us in a certain direction. It certainly has a purpose. And as we love the aspect of us that can fear and love that fear, it gets absorbed i feel like the whole world has a lot of fear right now yes especially now yeah and i feel like a lot of it stems from the fact that there's been a lot of denial yes. about what how things have been degrading on a number of different fronts yes and for so many different people and populations certainly and um and my belief is that as we learn some happiness tools that I teach and Love Loves Fear came out of those, um, that it's not about denying that there's hatred and murder and war and ugly, yucky things happening all over the world every day to many, many people. Um, it's not letting fear of that happening to you stop you in your tracks of making change. That's very hard. Yes, it is. And therefore the book. Because the book, 
makes it seem a little simpler, a little easier, um, more philosophical, and then it becomes experiential, and it um, invites us to use it just with little fears at first. Fear of doing an interview, fear of speaking in public, (laughs) fear of meeting a new person, Mm -hmm. fear of any kind of change, fear of not knowing where your next meal is coming from, and then the fears kind of get bigger. But when we can work on the smaller ones that might have been with us for a really long time, and they're not even necessarily a valid fear anymore, but they inform how we think about things. Mm -hmm. And so as we love those fears into a gentler place, our perspective changes and we have a little more hope and a little less fear. Um, And I believe that as we build hope and love and patience, that those are part of what brings peace to the world. It's so hard when we're working on a timeline and when there's so many people who are still in denial in a time when we can no longer afford that. So, you know, it's, it's difficult to both honor people's need to move slowly through their fear as well as kind of like there are there are present problems like there are present dangers yes. that need to be addressed mm-hmm. you know so how do you i mean how do you manage those two mm-hmm. those two realities you right. know well because this doesn't have to be a slow process i mean for some people it is a slow process of learning how to love themselves boy no matter what's going on in their life right and um and so for me i often say what would love do in this moment, meaning what is the most direct um, way that is best for all involved. And I don't believe we have any enemies. I don't think there's enemies in the world. I think that, um, that people are scared and angry, and so they make it up that we're all separate and enemies and fight with each other. Um, and with this philosophy, it's if we don't see people as enemies, we are more likely to do and be um, more loving or peaceful or patient in our process. And, you know, even uh, like the Women's March, which is, as far as marches, I mean, it was really big. It was this great show, you know, um, and I have been in, in the 60s and in marches that felt much more, um, uh, uh, what's the word, not volatile, but uh, um, direct and um, feeling um, like there was a singular purpose, like uh, uh, resisting the... um, resisting the massacres that happened like in Cambodia at that time, stopping the war in Vietnam, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, I still think from my perspective that that was done in love and not just in anger at those who were doing wrong or out of fear of our enemies, but that as we... um, as we come together in looking at what is best for all involved, I think that always ends up as a peaceful solution. For the idea that we don't have any enemies, you, like if somebody is trying to kill you or mm-hmm. take everything from you mm-hmm. and destroy everything you love, right? how do you not consider them an enemy and how does that actually help you mm-hmm. if you need to... You have to protect yourself. Sure, you know? sure. Um, and yes, I would protect my life. I would protect my children. Can't think of anything else. But um, And it doesn't have to resort to violence to do that. Um, and when I say that there are no enemies, there's this philosophy, and I don't know quite where it came from. I first heard it at the Center for Spiritual Living from one of the speakers there. And they said, you know, when we see in the news that somebody has been killed, whether it's in gang warfare or other types of violence and warfare, um, that they take the philosophy of one of us was killed today. One of us killed somebody today. Now, that may be many more than just one, but the sense that whoever the person is, 
on either side of that conflict. They have a mother. They have someone who loves them. They have someone who um, can hold them in this unconditional love that they are not the enemy. They're misguided. They're not acting lovingly. They're full of fear. They've been distorted, their reality. I mean, all kinds of things are going on for somebody who would um, intentionally, out of fear and anger, kill another person because they see them as their enemy. So I I believe unless we shift that philosophy, we feed that. I see something valuable in keeping people human in your own mind. Mm -hmm. So not enemies or the idea idea that um, approaching people as other humans because some of these very evil, I would say just Mm -hmm. evil people, um, Nazis, white supremacists who mm-hmm. have, who just have murder on their right. mind. Mm-hmm. Um, they want a sort of superhuman status. They mm-hmm. want to sort of leave behind their humanity right. in order to seem more powerful mm-hmm. or like be more powerful. Right. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, some of these people like are actually showing up to protest wearing super hero outfits yes you know trying mm-hmm. to trying to claim that sort of like superhumanness as and so one of the interesting things about seeing people as human is also seeing them um well all the all the bad things about humanity like right. you know right. like all of the maybe these people really are just pathetic you know like mm-hmm. and it's you know it's it's so um you know do you, you know what i mean um, yes, and I just have a little different philosophy mm-hmm. with that. Um, for instance, uh, I don't believe in evil. <laughs> I believe I believe that it looks like evil. You know, I, I can see people's perspective of it. Um, I believe that everything is love or the desire for love or the calling for love or the reaching for love or the um, falling from out of that Mm -hmm. realm Mm -hmm. of having any concept that all is love. You know, it's a pretty pretty radical concept in some ways. And then it's also so so human. Um, For instance, um, at Standing Rock, one of the women, um, Rowena Jackson, who wrote a um, a testimonial for my book on the cover. She's Native American, Klamath, and a couple of other tribes there. And she'd been to Standing Rock a couple of times. And what she said on the book was um, that um, when I read her the story when she got back, before it was even a book, she said that it reminded her of the philosophy at Standing Rock Um because it was oh, because it was more about love and less fear. And when the water protectors were inviting people to come there, as you remember, spiritual leaders of all different faiths all around the world mm-hmm. came mm-hmm. and prayed for the water, mm-hmm. right, and for peace and to help support. And um, and so the whole protectiveness of the water, of the land, of the people, of the history, of all of that was just one example of how you could meet fear and hatred and anger and torture from a more loving place mm-hmm. and not go there. They didn't, um, they didn't respond like with like. They responded in a community-building, supportive, protective way. So that's kind of what I mean. And I think that there's many, many movements around the world that have done that that just don't get recognized for it. What's interesting about anarchism is it's at its base, it's why can't we all just get along? Right. Like The yeah. idea is that we do believe that in a society without oppression and without mm-hmm. destructive hierarchy, people everybody can get along. Yes. So there is this very sort of positive root about Mm -hmm. the um, very optimistic idea about humanity, 
sort of rooted that anarchism is rooted in. Yes. You know, so that's yeah. a very interesting part of mm-hmm. what it is to be an anarchist is to at our root believe that people right. are good. That right. that 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 we mm-hmm. um that we are that we act in these horrible ways not because of our own inner humanity, but mm-hmm. because of how we have been raised and are part of and are um, privy to right. these um, mm-hmm. super oppressive, dominance-based yes. systems. Yes. And so that is... Um, so, you know, so it's interesting. Um, but you were saying earlier, though, that we want to love fear... Mm-hmm. Right. And we can't be denying fear. Right. I don't think right? love and denial are the same thing. Exactly. Right. So then but then mm-hmm. um, if we are going to love fear, then we need to sort of not deny its existence. And I think a lot right. of what anarchists run up against is trying to get people to look at it. Oh, for sure. You know, like. Yeah. You... And I think that if we deny it, it just grows. Right. But I think that if we look at it. And look at it realistically, whatever perspective that means, and then look at it from that perspective of humans are basically good, right? I mean, that was a quote from Anne Frank, that humans are basically good, people mm-hmm. are basically good. And um, and so I've taken that sort of root radical view of no matter what else happens, that's what I believe, and that's the beam that I kind of shine Mm-hmm. on all of this, mm-hmm. right? To getting down to that place of not meeting um, violence with violence. And it doesn't mean putting your head in the sand. It doesn't mean total surrender. Um, it's very much similar to the nonviolent strategies of Gandhi, right, of Martin Luther King. I mean, that's what I was um, brought up with and in in my politicization as a teenager, if that's a word, Um and um, and young adults, um, that's what we were following in the protests, you know. And I love the word protect. If we knew that then, mm-hmm. we would have been using protect instead of protest. I agree. You know? you know, it's interesting when people mention Gandhi is because Gandhi was a strongly anarchist sympathizer. Yes. He, he got many and many of his ideas. He was very mm-hmm. rooted in Tolstoy. Yes. Tolstoy was openly anarchist. Yes. So um, mm-hmm. it's so sort of these anarchist roots still are part of even social justice that yes. has been, um, you know, on different sorts of paths. Right. And one and of, one of them is in a nonviolent path. And then, but one of the, one of the problems is I feel like a lot of times people use the idea of that just creating their own love and that love can conquer all as an abdication of their own responsibility to the rest of the world, Yes, you know, to taking Mm -hmm. on some of that pain and taking on some of that really hard work, Mm -hmm. you know, so that's, that's, that's a real conflict too. And that, that does happen, especially within um, privileged communities and white communities and middle class Mm -hmm. communities who say, well, well, you know, I'm working on myself and that's, (laughs) that's good enough. Right. Or I go to my garden club or. You right. know, whatever social service they might right. be doing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and so again, this this aspect of love is all there is is not denying um, that any of this other stuff is happening. It simply is saying that surrounding all of that or at the root of all of that mm-hmm. is the concept of love. And so when people are in denial or using their privilege, the definition of pri- one of the defini- definitions around privilege is that you don't need to know. Mm-hmm. You don't need to know what it's like for somebody of a different class right. or a different color. Exactly, you know, right. And that's the definition, right? Um, so I think that everybody, wherever they are, needs to look at what they fear, you know, what people holding under their privileged position, what it is that they fear, mm-hmm. right? Um, and to be able to face those fears, love and forgive themselves even though they have those fears, mm-hmm. and then act out of, out of that kind of radical root love. You know, how can this benefit your community? How can your money or your resources or your access or your education or your neighborhood or your foundation, how can those aspects of privilege be part of not just what gives back, but which motivates and funds Mm -hmm. radical change in the world? 
And one of the things that happens is a lot of frustration with people that are not doing that work. Yes. And what comes from that frustration often, though, is shaming. Yes. Is shaming people, in, trying to shame people into action. Right. But shaming is inherently coercive. Yes. And as an anarchist, we be, I believe that coercion doesn't work. Right, uh, I like agree. You, you know what I mean? It's yeah. much cooperation is much harder, mm-hmm. but in the end, coercion simply well doesn't backfires it backfires right right? so then like Mm -hmm. so using um it's this it's difficult to figure out how to kind of like light a fire under people at the same time as Mm -hmm. you know like not pushing people too far but if people are not pushing themselves right right, you know when there are like there is dire circumstances that people Mm -hmm. need to be stepping up to meet you know that's a difficult balance yes and so i believe that People who are ready to be on the front lines are on the front lines, and that people that everybody can support the move toward oneness or world peace or whatever we want to to call that that everybody has a role in that, and they need to recognize it first and right when they're guilt or shamed into it, they just back up even further mm-hmm. and so when I give talks to all different kinds of communities, the message is always the same in that it's looking at um what are you worried about? Let's learn how to wonder about that. What are you afraid of? Let's learn how to accept that and move through it and move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everybody can move forward in a way that they would believe that they were improving the world for generations to come. Mm-hmm. You know, And I don't tell anybody they're wrong or convince anybody of anything different. I just call them toward that in the most loving way. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, when I was younger, I was one of the people just yelling at people about how they should change, you know, and here's what we still have or here's what we have more of. And, and I believe then that that was the way to do that, which is why I did it. So I believe that we're all doing the absolutely best that we can with what we got. Mm-hmm. And so as we have more, I think Maya Angelou might have said that, as we have more, we do more. Mm-hmm. As we have more knowledge, we do. as we have more love, we, you know, whatever it is that we have more resources of, then we use those resources. Mm-hmm. But we need to not but, and we need to um, get um, set in, it's not the right direction, like right and wrong, but right as in alignment with us, like the concept of right livelihood mm-hmm. in Buddhism, right? I don't know what that is. Do you oh, so the sense of rightness is a sense of alignment that aligns with your life's purpose, that aligns with you um, spiritually, emotionally, physically. It's like integrity, right? And so right livelihood would be that you make your living, your livelihood, in a way um, that lines for what's best for the earth and her people and etc. So people can interpret that all kinds of ways, mm-hmm. but it's the sense of alignment. And so when I use the word right, I mean upright, you know, mm-hmm. in, in alignment, not versus wrong, because that's that dichotomy thinking, and that's what fear does. It says, okay, I'm afraid of this, so things are only this or this. They're what I'm afraid of or what I'm af- not afraid of. And love is so much more inclusive. If love can love the fearful part and the fearful people and sort of this whole umbrella of things, Mm -hmm. it leaves so much more room to heal as a people, as a planet. You know, it's not dividing anybody. So it um, non-dual is one of the words. And to me, that seems like a dichotomy of a word. But that's a different story. (laughs) Uh Some are real wordsmiths. I love playing around with words Mm -hmm. a lot, you know. I see I see love as even more encompassing than that because I think one of the divisionary points is around anger. Mm-hmm. And if you lump lumping in anger with fear or with negativity and mm-hmm. not allowing any space for the anger that flows from love. Sure. You know, sure. so a really intensive love can can create anger that is powerful yes you know and that power isn't when we when we as people are disempowered mm-hmm. and we need to reclaim that power right. i think anger is a source that should be respected as well yes, yes. um but that, again you know i think that our society has been so 
unwilling or able to accept and love anger for what it is yes. that you end up in situations where people shut down mm-hmm. around any kind of anger. Yes. You know what I mean? So you end up with like, for instance, black people being angry because they're having a terrible time mm-hmm. and being shut down because people don't, will not recognize or value or respect where that anger is coming from. Right. You know, and by definition, institutionalized racism. Right. Right. And um, my next book, the book that I'm writing now is called Love Loves Anger. Right? Really? Yes. <laughs> so it's very <laughs> well, much right in. Yeah, very much the same thing where, um, you know, out of love comes anger. And again, I don't think there's negative or positive emotions necessarily. Mm-hmm. I, I think that when we look at things as negative, then we see them that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I do understand what you're saying um, about anger being looked at that way, like that it's a bad thing. And people feel like they can't be around anger or they can't be angry or they can't control their anger or... Mm-hmm. Um, and really, if we look at it as just one more emotion, that it's an indicator of passion yes, and, absolutely. and wanting change. You know, mm-hmm. anger is almost always about moving away from fear, being empowered and wanting change. And so our, the anger is often what can motivate the change. Yes. But when the anger get it, gets in its own way and it no longer is a motivator and it's not guided by love, when it's guided by fear... Mm. then we have anger at our enemies and we just want them to go away in whatever way possible. When we're using our anger in a loving way, we want to direct that anger so that social change is really made and people are empowered Mm -hmm. because power over is still where the anger plus fear goes. Empowered is where the anger plus love goes. In my head. That's, that's really interesting. It's another thing where another thing that anarchists point out a lot Mm-hmm. And that, that other social sides of social justice point out a lot is that there is power in anger and that yeah. it's valid. Yes. And um, mm-hmm. I think it's hard to, it gets really frustrating when trying to have a conversation about anger and getting shut down yes. um, so, so quickly mm-hmm. that that can lead to, that can lead to a sort of a more negative anger that is so frustrated at other people Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah and so um you know we're not we're not being heard like i go to a protest Mm -hmm. um with anarchists and there is a lot of passion there yes there is so much passion and it's Mm -hmm. also and it is very loving yeah you know in its in its way it's very Mm -hmm. very loving it's people who go out and uh spend beautiful a beautiful sunday afternoon Uh getting tear gassed to try and stop oppression. Yes. Like that takes a lot of love. Yeah. I think. You know what I mean? You betcha. I mean, but mm-hmm. if you if you don't sort of see the root of that, all you see is the anger. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. And so that's the the place of um deep down that radical place, do we believe um that people at their root are um are loving? Do we believe, you know, more research now shows that the people are much more cooperative than competitive. It's been this lie told to all of us that we're all competitive. And I remember when I was in maybe grade school or something, and it was this whole, when they would talk about, you know, when the white folks came to the um, East Coast of the Americas and, you know, manifest destiny of pushing themselves forward, um, westward, was this whole thing. It was, it was for God, glory, or gold. You know, and when you bring that down and you look at, you know, if God is about love and about spirit, it would never be about conquering peoples or raping lands and peoples, et cetera, et cetera. When we look at gold and the abundance, there was enough for everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, and then the idea of glory um if it wasn't in a competitive way that that there were the good guys and the bad guys or that somebody got rose to the top and they were the glory-filled hero and and simply that place of where we all get to feel empowered in our best self. Mm-hmm. So it's not even that those words are bad necessarily, but they created them as these um, uh, uh, powering over self-righteous, uh, um, um, Losing a word there about like when a nation says we're we're the right ones, we're the best ones, right? So we're gonna go, mm-hmm. you know, kill everybody else who doesn't believe us, right? right? Which to me is the definition of war, right? Yeah. We kill people who don't believe what we believe, and um, 
So when we just take the words apart themselves, the words, words can be set, empowering of people, not being used as a power over. Yeah. So, um, so somehow that example was answering your question and looking at how love and anger and movement and change can all look like it's um, angry and, and violent in some way. But when we strip it down and the anger's still there, but we add the element of love and the belief that people are basically good and that no one person is any better or gets to own or rape or crush or uh, torture, all those horrible things humans do to each other, mm-hmm. it doesn't come naturally to us mm-hmm. at all, you know. Um, and so I go back to that root of what comes naturally to us. We're cooperative beings. Mm-hmm. We love to share stuff. Yeah. You know? <laughs> we do. <laughs> we totally do. And so if we can kind of get to that root in people and remind them of that, you get those symbols of, you know, in the 70s, people putting the flowers in the gun barrels of the National Guard, you know, when there were other symbols recently of that. I can't remember which ones, but I saw on Facebook with some of the more recent um, contemporary places of um, the people on one side still greeting the others, holding their stance, but greeting them in a nonviolent, don't we all want the same thing here, really? Have you heard of mutual aid? No. So mutual aid is an... Sorry. Mutual aid is an anarchist concept uh-huh. of the idea that I can help you and you can help me and uh, in a way that everybody gets what they need. If yes. people are free to do the things that they love to do, that if we respect and enjoy and love diversity, yes. so if you have both diversity, people able and willing like um happy to do the things that they love yes wanting to cooperate mm-hmm. and share then everything gets yes. covered totally you know so totally from households to communities mm-hmm. to the world it's yeah. about it's all about creating incentives too yes the idea that um mm-hmm. you teach people or people naturally already feel but can't are, are separated from the idea that what's good for me is good for my community yes and what's good for my community mm-hmm. is good for me and when those when that um basic there's that basic understanding that things actually do line up really well, despite Mm -hmm. people saying that this is some sort of utopian dream. Exactly. You know? Yes. And I know the concept. I just hadn't heard Mm -hmm. it called mutual aid before. It has a number of different... uh, um, Anarchist concepts are around a lot. For sure. They've they've permeated the culture in quite an interesting Uh way. If I can find it, I have a list of... Um, synonyms that people have used in different non-anarchist concepts for right. the idea of mutual aid. Mm-hmm. And some of it is the gift economy. Some of it, um, like I, when I invite people to be on my board or volunteers, I say, would it bring you joy, you know? And there's also that um, Marxist thing that had come along where each person put in what they could and took what they needed. Um, from each according um, from each according to their ability to each according to their need. Yes, I and I've lived in households like that for years, you know, mm. and in community like that. So those are the ones that I can think of that are similar. And when I first moved to Eugene, I went to quite a few anarchist meetings and really? certainly um, influenced by that. And I also found lots of things that were being said that I already knew and believed some of the words were different, you know, like some of the things we've already talked about that are that are similarities. Yeah, I can't. I can't find the list. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe I'll write that in the notes sure. of the podcast later. But of course, there would be that um, that anarchists have also been misunderstood, right? And and the media, again, out of fear, going, "Oh my God!" You know, those anarchists, those people in Portland. I mean, they just um, the media loves to create fear. Mm-hmm. I believe to kind of keep that war machine going, which is part of what the whole industrial yeah, war yeah, complex exactly. is based, et cetera, et cetera. You have you to know? put down the people trying to change the system in order to keep the system working. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so talking about May Day, probably mm-hmm. that when there were the uh, riots right. by the anarchists. Yes. Um, so part of what happened. That mm-hmm. was not ever explained well. Mm-hmm. Was that after the cops used the excuse of 
a couple of people like throwing rocks at them or something. Right. When in a reasonable society, if we think that they should not be doing that, the cops could deal with those individuals. Exactly. Right. Instead, yes. they choose to they chose to take that moment yeah. and shut down the entire march and mm. start throwing yeah. tear gas yes. and dangerous, dangerous sort of chemical yes. warfare into a crowd uh-huh. of elderly and children. Yes. Uh, very dangerous. And mm-hmm. what the anarchists did at that moment was start basically taking. Um, um, getting the cops out of the area. You know, you start yes. you start doing these mm-hmm. things. You they like occupy the cops, and also yes. they're putting up barriers to make yeah. sure that the people, vulnerable populations, can get out of the way yes. of what these are going on. Because the sure. cops had given them mm-hmm. no ability or um, direction on where they were even supposed to go. Their exactly. people couldn't all fit on the sidewalks yeah. to get out and, of the street. And you children know? and older people, and disabled people, can't run. No, Mm-mm. they get stampeded. No, exactly. And that doesn't happen in an event like this. Right. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they're being watched for and cared for. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. And it's just a perfect example of how when something's looked at as fear-based, that it breaks down so quickly. Yeah. And in my interpretation, the anarchists at that time were acting in protective, mm-hmm. not fear-based. But like, well, no. <laughs> you know? These are our children. Our grandmothers are... You know, and okay, a couple of people misbehaved. You punish the whole class. I mean, haven't we been going through that since <laughs> kindergarten? You right. know, and maybe those kids who are misbehaving need some special attention or help. They don't just need to, you know, get grounded or expelled or jailed or, or whatever, or, or blamed for right. a a huge amount of um, danger that huge amounts of people were put in. Right. You know exactly because they weren't the cause of that. Mm-hmm. They were the cause of feeling out of control and responding as such. Mm-hmm. You know, it's never a majority of the folks doing that, but it's a majority of the opposite of the opposing ones to treat them as though it's a majority and to have much more force. What's like the the force isn't met at the place that it is. I'm trying to remember the words for that in mm-hmm. um, in martial arts. There's a place about meeting the force with the force that you meet and not upping the force like not pulling out a gun when somebody you know like anyway but not pulling out a gun when somebody else has simply made a move Mm -hmm. you know you are not matching that force yeah and anarchists do have a heavy um um very heavy focus on defense Mm-hmm. You see a lot of sort of anarchist groups with the word defense, community right. defense, yeah. in their mm-hmm. in their titles. Yeah, um, because I I see that I see that we have sort of this really um, fierce protective mm-hmm. um, drive. Yes, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and it's key that the word isn't offense or the offenders. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But the defenders is a whole different word. You know, it's like protectors. It's anyway. It's something that the right is always trying to capitalize on, too. Like, you see a lot of the interviews with these white supremacists or Mm -hmm. these Nazis and stuff. They're always saying that they're defending themselves. They're defending the country. They're defending values. They're defending Mm. whatever because they want to capitalize on that same narrative of defense because overall people do um, empathize or uh-huh. sympathize with the narrative of defense much right. more than they sure. do. Because it was know. done in self-defense. Or right, it was done in right. Because def- yeah. I think overall people really only really do um, appreciate and believe in self-defense mm-hmm. and overall are afraid of being on the offense yes. or don't, don't respect that. You know? mm-hmm. So the way to kind of capitalize on that is to say that I'm, in, I'm doing the defense right. and they are attacking me. Right. You know, yeah. and to always and sort to of frame, that. yeah, to frame mm-hmm. everything that happens in those terms. Yes. You know. Mm-hmm. And then those terms, again, are the ones of this dichotomy of the good guys and the bad guys, you know, the good guys in their white sheets, you know, <laughs> that kind of a mentality. And, um, and to be, um, to be defending, um, something when there has been an aggression already is so different than going, oh, no, 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 you started it. You know, like the way that um, that abusers will say, this person hit me first or they looked at me funny or they, right. you know, mm-hmm. I was just defending myself mm-hmm. even though I'm 
you know, three times as big or whatever to this child <laughs> yeah. or, you know, a gang of people who are hurting one or two people will say they started it. And yeah. again, the, the power is more on one side. Well, especially when you look at the actual sort of violence of the left versus the right, the yeah. right are incredibly violent. Yeah. They're, they're incredibly violent. You know, yeah. they're just, and it's become normalized in our culture in a really disturbing way. And that's pretty scary. You know, it's very mm-hmm. disturbing and, um, it's, but they then turn around and characterize any sort of um, response from the people that they're terrorizing right. as like, oh, they're aggressive, they're violent, like, yeah. and it's like w- people are fighting for their lives against a system that's that is constantly and directly trying to kill them. Yes, you know, so yep. it's it's difficult when you're talking about systemic problems and systemic mm-hmm. violence. Right. You see, like, well, if things can look like they're on the offense. When it in the it's like how do you not look like you're in the offense if you're constantly on the defense actually yes. you know from these yes. systems that are trying to kill you right and historically yeah right I mean the the whole history of people whole ancestry of people and and then it brings me back to the image at Standing Rock again mm-hmm. you know where even when there were peaceful protectors they were seen by the the people who were onslaughting them to say, oh, they're doing this, or they're, they're trying to do that same thing of making it seem as though the indigenous folks were the aggressors. Right. You know, yeah. And um, and hopefully that, um, and this might be some of my, I don't know, uh, optimism, innocence, naivete, <laughs> gullibility, you know, belief in people. Um, but hopefully part of all this change is raising people's awareness so they, they can see through the veil and they can check in with their own self and feel their alignment. Does this feel true? Mm-hmm. Does this feel true? And one of the classes that I now teach is called True Love Now. And it's about how to discover your own truth how to do it in the most loving way, and how to be present with it. And then you are always ready to act on your truth and in love. Yeah, I've noticed that in intense situations, it can be really hard to stay centered, for yes. sure. And um, But whenever I am not leading with love, things yeah. go badly. Yeah. <laughs> like right. it's, it's, yeah. And it's, um, it's just a pattern when you start listening to my life and like trying to pay more attention to mm-hmm. what is being caused by my own issues instead of blaming other people. Right. It really often comes down to like some somewhere I got off track from my values and got off track from leading mm-hmm. with a loving eye. Right. And then things, you know, turn out poorly right. <laughs> whenever that seems to happen. And so that's you know? where I guide people, you know, through this concept of love loves fear, love loves anger, right? Mm-hmm. Guiding people to look at what is their piece of the truth? You know, we all have our own piece of the truth, right? There yeah. isn't just this one thing that's true. But to really align with that, find people that we align with, try to understand people that we don't necessarily align with, but find our own truth and have it be willing to be flexible and um, and shift as we learn more. But also it gives us our integrity of um, of where we stand or what directs us or what moves us forward and then to do that in a loving way and then to stay present Mm -hmm. you know that right here and now okay in the past this was throwing me off or over here this was throwing me off so if we can each kind of align with what's true for me right now what's most loving for me for me right now and now what do I do in this moment so it inspires or informs our action you know when we're because the belief is about the being true the feeling is about coming from love and the action is putting that into the present moment the uh, sometimes the sticky point there is from love to action love is often characterized as really weak right another another sort of lie right it's one of those other big sort of um misinformations that loving or peaceful means weak and subservient or right um, it can feel like that when especially you know you've kind of got people when we're facing um, fascism with signs that just say, you know, love trumps hate. Right. Um, but it, it, it's like, well, it, it, ha- it didn't. Right. <laughs> you know, like it, it right. really didn't. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, it didn't feels yet. like, right, yet. <laughs> but, so, but it feels like love, um, when love loses to hate, and it seems like it happens a lot, mm-hmm. that love is not 
as powerful, you right. know, and that love is not as strong. So like, right. it, it, you know, so how do you, you know, how, what, what about love is powerful? You know, like why, mm-hmm. how is it powerful? Right, right. Well, I think that that's where we get to each person. I mean, love is such a loaded word, right? And it's a word with all these issues. And um, and so when we get to a place of figuring out what we believe about love, and if we believe that people are basically good or that basically cooperative or basically loving, whatever our own core belief is, mm-hmm. and we really reach for that and we get there, then it informs how we behave. Um, and kind of only through our own experience can others see um, what that can look like when we're being loving it doesn't mean roll over loving can as you were saying be that very protective place you know mother bears love in her cubs mm-hmm. right somebody might get hurt in the process but that's because they're going after her cubs right, right? Um, so the bear doesn't just come out and start killing people for no reason you know they're not just an angry um species um so this place of putting together the true the love and the present moment um is what's newer radical about looking at love in this way and it's as i mean the word radical comes from root and as you were saying there's this rooted belief you know that love is a driving force and so it's getting back to what does that mean you know and it's not like even if we're feeling loved or insecure or um, codependent or do they love me enough, to, but just as place of the force of love and finding that and knowing that is what is radical about a movement that says love is at the forefront mm-hmm. and that we're all one and what's everybody fighting about. It doesn't ignore that there's war, but it just has a whole different approach to how to understand people, how to talk to people, um, and how to be on the front lines and putting flowers under the guns. The issue of talking to people, mm-hmm. um, talking to Nazis, mm-hmm. talking to people on the right who right. Ac- are actively trying to, you know. Right. Um, I feel like that's a sticking point a lot between sort of radical leftists and the more just liberals. Yeah, of yeah. Whether or not you should be talking mm-hmm. to these people or allowing them to speak at all. Right, right. Right. And so I think that there's a certain point. I was at a, um, was put on by nonviolent communication a few years back, and I didn't have a very good understanding that aligned with me about that. And it was this big meeting at South Eugene High School, and and they wanted the you know the the Nazis the neo Nazis the ultra right and all these folks to have everybody gets to speak the oppressed and the oppressor, and I walked out because it was not my frame of reference when I had been in um, situations for instance uh, I think it was at one of the feminist conferences that that I was at and um, and we were working around things like racism or classism. Etc. Etc. Homophobia, anti-Semitism, disabled folks, and all these different aspects of oppression within our own communities. Um, we would do these fishbowl kinds of things where someone who identified in an oppressed group would sit and talk about it, and those who were in the oppressor group didn't get to say anything. <laughs> we had to listen. That's great <laughs> because we'd been hearing it all forever. It was always our way. I mean, it, you know, there's so many uh, mixes here too, right? I might be white, but I'm a dyke, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, so but you, it's not that you pick and choose. You go, okay, here's where I need to hear about privilege. So I sat in and listened to people of color, and I didn't get to say one word. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that's a radical change. I mean, things were changing and shifting, and we were feeling it and knowing it, and um, and then there were coalitions built. And anyway, at one point, we had pen pals with somebody on the other side, and we talked with them. There wasn't email then, and and so when I walked into this other thing, thinking I was going to learn more about peace and nonviolent communication, I personally couldn't do it at that time. I don't know now. It's not something I seek out. Um, what I seek out is the people that are on the edges of that. And for me, this was even about people who voted for Trump versus people who didn't. And um, and some people that were relatives and friends of friends of mine. Um, 
could be talked to because uh, they voted out of fear, they voted out of not knowing, they voted out of all these false beliefs. They really, And then as soon as things really started changing, they went, oh, I was just kidding. No, 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 no. Because I'd say, tell me anything that he's mm-hmm. done that you feel really proud to stand behind. And you know, anyway, we could have these conversations. And it's like when um, people, usually it's men that I've heard who have been um, Nazis and left, been KKK and left and talked about that and that they would be the ones to come and talk to a group of people who'd been oppressed by Mm -hmm. that group. I can listen. I can listen deeply. They're listening. And so the changes can't always be made from the far left and the far right or, um, but I think more incremental changes can be made. Some people are made of the stuff where the leaders get together and duke it out or, you know, uh, debated or something. And um, and I'm more for the the masses, you know. And I, I think that's fascinating idea that you are allowed to talk if you will also listen. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But you had to start in the listening place mm-hmm. if you're in an, oppress, an oppressor group. You have to start in the listening place if you're in the oppressor group. And mm-hmm. um, as a white person, I have... Uh, I've been in similar situations like you were talking about where you're not allowed to speak and it's it's hard. It like yes. you're you know, it actually is for a minute there yeah. before you get used to it. <laughs> right. It's it's an interesting thing. It's like, oh I have something to say. Right. It's like I know. You're, you're not entitled to say that. Right. And it's um it's a very it's a it's a for me it was a good feeling. Yes. You know, to like have that realization. Mm-hmm. You know, so um I love that you that's a great exercise. Yes. You know, that's a really great exercise. Mm-hmm. Um and it's a really a way of connecting people. You're not separating them at all. You're just changing the dynamic of power. Uh-huh. And so you are so connecting people because people who have not felt listened to are really being listened to. That's a beautiful thing. I've oh, noticed that yeah. the more that this Quaker practice, the Quaker practice is a lot about listening. It's listening yes. for God. It's learning mm-hmm. how to listen. And like learning how to listen has been incredibly opening and beautiful and widening in my yes. life. Mm-hmm. And um, I and I, I, I had get so much joy out of listening to people who are oppressed. Yes. And there often is, I've noticed, this um, moment of, wow, I'm being listened to. Yes. And, like, it feels beautiful yes. to, like, be witness to that moment. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. um, I I love that oftentimes the conversation does seem to come back to listening. And yes. I've also, I you know, I've seen a number of um, different videos by um, um, indigenous peoples or Native Americans saying that they're worried about their kids talking more than they're listening. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like another sort of like um, um, Native American, often Native American value just from just from what I've, you know, mm-hmm. witnessed and seen around the people that I follow mm-hmm. on Twitter or whatever is the right. idea of how important listening is and that yes. we're not doing it. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. And see, my own circumstances in my life, I have three daughters and they're all kids of color and I have five Six now, grandkids, obviously. The, and so I was the only straight person. Oh, no, no. they. I was the only lesbian. <laughs> there we go. Got mixed up. Thought I had a privilege I didn't have. How funny. Anyway, I was the only white person in the, my immediate family of me bringing the kids up and the only lesbian. And so we'd often go. And then, of course, I was the adult and the grown-up, so I had this perceived power. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's just an interesting mix on how we – all kept working things out and listening to each other and abdicating power and empowering. And anyway, it's been quite a, quite a journey. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Empowerment is sort of the root of yeah. fighting oppression. Yes. Because the idea is that, I mean, the basic idea is that we hierarchies steal power yeah. from people and mm-hmm. then conglomerate it at the top. Right. So the actual work of dismantling hierarchies is reclaiming that power all the way down to an individual level, mm-hmm. not just so in sort of in a um, creating these direct democracy right. type situations where people have power over their own like political and right. community lives, but also mm-hmm. that sort of rooted um, personal power. Yes, you know, sort of like self liberation. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know? exactly. So I guess that's when it comes back around to love because mm-hmm. sort of love can. Uh, help that, right? Right. When we learn to be self-loving, it's not 
um, ego, egotistical. It's not narcissistic. It's, it's about, you know, as I learn to love myself, I learn to love other humans, you know, and, um, to reflect that. And, and the idea behind the true love now is that place of empowerment, of self-empowerment. That is my truth. All those other negative voices that come through, no, those are all from past oppressors or other folks. Those aren't my truth. When we really align with our truth, it's always loving. It can be nothing else, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so when I tell people that, they're like, oh, well, there's a way to discern. You know, does it feel like a relief? Does it feel loving? Is it beating you up? Is it making you feel guilty or shame? Hmm, probably not loving. You know, so just a way to, to sort through all of that. Um, I've also gone to Quaker meetings in my life and I grew up with a friend who when I was younger um, family in our neighborhood and my friend who was Quaker and, and would go and, and what I loved and was hard for me was the silences and the listening what a teaching <laughs> I'd get out and be like da 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 you know <laughs> yeah 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 but still that stillness and one of the things I learned as an older adult or middle aged adult then um, is I went to some trainings that were based on Quaker views around consensus mm-hmm. And they were just so beautiful. And it was on women's land and about, um, anyway, about forming and honoring consensus. Mm -hmm. So no matter where I go in my life, everywhere I look, every peoples, every culture, I haven't been everywhere at all. um, But everything that I come across, I still am able to bring it down to this place of we have many more similarities than differences, Mm -hmm. even in our beliefs, Mm -hmm. you know. I mean, consensus is, uh, consensus process is a huge amount of what anarchist praxis. Right. So, yeah. um, mm-hmm. because it all is rooted in the idea that we are all equal. Exactly. And so everybody has a say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's as valid as everybody else's. Mm-hmm. And even my, the board that I have for Spiraling Toward Joy, everything's by consensus. Yeah. And in my younger years, every meeting I went to, whether it was feminist or socialist or social feminist or however, all that went, everything was by consensus. And I almost don't know how to do anything any other way. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So to me, it's like, oh, that wasn't the norm. I forgot. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's a, once, um, once you have that power or you've experienced that power yeah. it's it feels weird to not uh-huh. feels terrible again i think it's a more natural human way yeah, I think you know so it's too. to that cooperative model mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. yeah there's a lot to be heard in silence yeah i've been wondering you know if i should um sometimes moments of silence come upon me and or come upon us in these discussions that I'm having yeah. with people. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like it's weird to have silence in a radio show. Right? Uh-huh. But it seems like it's part of the conversation. Yes. And to be able to say to people that during those silent moments and um, to be able to say, take time just to take it in. Because that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and then just have it be. Right. Mm-hmm. And not have to fill it. <laughs> you have yeah. a very calming voice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. It's nice to. I mean, that's part of love. Is just even just if so. If it if you it is valid to sort of it definitely sort of self care and self love is a revolutionary act. And yeah. If, um. You have that. You can't bring peace to the world until you have peace in yourself mm-hmm. and sort of moving through the world and moving through spaces. Um. In that. In that love, it sort of does, I can see it, it sort of reverberates out. Yes. You know, Mm -hmm. it really does. It's sort of like in, um, you know, little, you can see just little like sprouts of power. Yes. You know. Yeah. And I think that Eugene is, um, and maybe many places, but I've lived here since 80, but Eugene is sort of this hotbed for this too, because I see it in things like positive touch. I see it in the ecstatic dance. I see it in, I mean, almost everywhere that I go or that I hear about from a friend. And maybe it's just because it's my perspective that I'm just seeing love everywhere, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that I really see these reaching for loving connection by loving yourself. And mm-hmm. your body and your movement and your abilities and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, what would it be like? How radical of a change would be in the world if we all believed that we were totally lovable just as we are? Yeah. And that we got to go from there, you know, and want that, wish that for the world. 
Well, we're actually at um, 58 minutes. <laughs> Hi. How are you doing? Um, I was just doing a radio interview, but it was just at the end. I'm being interviewed by somebody for a podcast. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I was just going to ask, could I take some of this grass from my house? Oh, my please garden? do. Yes, yes. Okay. Take, take bunches of it. Did, yes. Did you finish the interview? Um, we're oh. just finishing up now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it got to 58 minutes, so we just finished up. But yes, please do. Yes. Okay. Thank yeah, you. I, I can just some in my oh, yes. Thank right, you. Sure. Yeah, and I'm going to, um, as soon as it cools off a little bit, working with that garden more too of planting things and yeah, watering I'll things. Come back in a hours, so. Okay, thank you. Uh, you can have as much as you'd like. Are you going to have it off? Oh, no, I still have it on. Um, we can edit it later, but yeah. sometimes I like that little environmental <laughs> stuff, you know, because yeah. it's, it's easy to take it for granted about how we live but not everybody right. has this sort of experience. And that's this experience of cooperation where the other, it's a new neighbor, he's lived there about a year or two doors down, um, very friendly, introduces himself, and the other day I got out of my car and he was walking by and he goes, hey, I see you've got a garden, I have extra vegetable plants, and he goes, I want to give them to you, and I've really nurtured them from seed and gave me these plants. And now he comes by and goes, can I have your cut grass? So perfect example of community. Mm -hmm. Right? Mutual aid. Mm -hmm. Cooperation. Cooperation. Mutual aid, yes, mm -hmm. all of that. Uh huh. And that what benefits one of us benefits all of us. Mm -hmm. And then we're both growing food. Yeah, that's perfect. That's <laughs> yeah. great. Mm -hmm. Well, um, thank you so much. This has been really lovely. Cool. Thank um, you. I hope you've had a good time too. Mm hmm. Definitely. Got me thinking about lots of things because, of course, you're asking questions in a different way than some have. And that's why I love doing interviews and talking yeah. with people. Mm -hmm. I love talking yeah. with people. Mm hmm. All right. All right. Thank you so yes. much. Thank you. Great job. Mm hmm.